Well, glad to see all of you today. Glad to have you with us. And uh, we just pray that uh, the Scripture, as we have looked at it and sung through it, will be a, a wonderful, wonderful blessing to you. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, please. The Gospel of Mark and chapter 8. Here in our text this morning are the words of the Lord Jesus to a crowd of people. Uh, some were his followers, others were just there to see his miracles and hear him teach. Thank you, Kristen, glad you grabbed that Bible. Forgot to mention that, you bet. There are Bibles on every, on every row, so help yourself to those if you need to one to take a look at today. So here in our text this morning are the, the words of the Lord Jesus to, to a crowd of people. Some were his followers, others were just there to see his miracles and hear him teach. Jesus is inviting them in our text. He is inviting them to come to him for forgiveness and blessing and peace and joy and eternal life. This is the call of the Lord Jesus. This is the invitation of the Lord Jesus. Those who've been, who've been in a church for any length of time, or I should say a church that preaches the Bible for any length of time, we are used to invitations. The standard invitation or altar call, as we often call it, did not appear in church history until the early 1800s in America. Uh, earlier in church history, we do not see them, uh, but in the revivals that were occurring in various places in the United States in the early 1800s, church historians call it the Second Great Awakening, uh, they became quite common in certain groups, particularly in the South, but spreading across the country as preachers from the South traveled around starting new churches. Invitations vary in style from group to group and church to church, but I imagine today there will be thousands of invitations of some sort given across America in churches calling on people to come to Christ and many times to walk to the front of the church to indicate their commitment and have someone pray for them and pray with them. I try to end each sermon with a challenge that may be called an invitation, inviting people to make a spiritual commitment based on what was preached that morning. Uh, we all need to be confronted with the truth of Scripture. We all need to be challenged to obey what the Scripture says. But we have chosen in our small rural church to not have the standard altar call of coming to the front of the church while we sing multiple verses of a hymn. Nothing necessarily wrong with it. It just doesn't function well in our setting and nothing in the scripture demands it. But we always want to invite people as we attempt to do each week to make a spiritual commitment based on the text of scripture that we are studying that day. But what Jesus is giving us here in this passage is his version of an invitation. We would call it the model invitation because it is the invitation of Jesus himself as he called people to follow him. This is the way to eternal life. This is the way to forgiveness forever. This is the way to heaven, to joy, to peace, to blessing. Listen to our Lord's words starting in verse 34, Gospel of Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 34 and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, verse 38. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This same account is also recorded in Matthew 16 and Luke 9, uh, and very similar words are expressed different times in different texts in the Gospels throughout the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is consistently the invitation of the Lord Jesus. Most invitations in churches today don't sound much like this. Many modern invitations tend to be man-centered and self-centered. This is not an invitation Jesus gives us to health or wealth or fulfillment or prosperity or healing or a boosted self-image or trouble-free living. This is an invitation to self-denial and cross-bearing and obedience. But this is the Lord Jesus' invitation, and this is the invitation that we must give if we're going to be faithful to His teaching. For the Lord Jesus Himself and for His followers, there was no crown without a cross. And here He comes with the invitation, If anyone wishes to come after Me. It's an open invitation. If anyone wishes to come after Me. If anyone he is saying this to the disciples who already believe in him, and he's also con- to, he is confirming the nature of their true faith, and he's saying this as an open invitation to the crowd that's, that's surrounding them. It, it is a reminder of the original commitment of the disciples to follow Jesus, and for the crowd, this is a clear invitation that if they really want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, this is what that commitment will require. He said, if anybody wants to follow me, if they wish to come after me, there are three attitudes that Jesus speaks of here that, 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 that are very clear and are very essential if we're going to actually follow the Lord. Attitude number one is self-denial. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Now what does that mean? We've spoken of self-denial or dying to self on many different occasions. So what do we mean by that? So it, it's a very strong expression. And this is where, this is the beginning point of where coming to Christ all begins. What what it means to deny yourself, in fact, the the word there, to deny, means, means to disown, to refuse to associate with. To refuse to be a a companion with someone. That's what the verb means. So what you are saying is, he's not saying deny other people. He's not saying disown other people. He's saying disown yourself. He said, I, he, he said, I am disowning myself. I no longer want to associate with the person that I used to be. I realize my sinfulness. I realize I cannot earn this. I, I abandon the system of religious works to achieve a right standing with God. This idea that I can somehow make myself good enough for God to accept me. I abandon my own ambitions, my own agenda, my own plans. I disown myself. And I no longer want to be the person that I used to be. And you know, when you come to Christ, that's what you have to do. You deny yourself. You see, Jesus is not an add-on to the rest of my life. 
that I just live like I've always lived and I practice all that I've always practiced and I demonstrate all the same values and all the same attitudes that I've always had. I just add Jesus to my existing life, especially on Sundays. I've told you this story before, I think, but many, many years ago, like 25 years ago probably, uh, we were at church here and, and uh, somebody was, was coming up. Uh, two little girls were coming up the front stairs. And uh, I, I know one of the little girls who's now a big girl with several of her own kids, but at the time she was a little girl. And, uh, and she had brought a friend with her to church. And as they were coming up the front stairs, the, uh, the, the friend kind of bumped her foot or, or, or almost stumbled and a four-letter word popped out of her mouth. And the other little girl kind of whacked her on the arm and said, Hey, you're not supposed to cuss in church. <laughs> I leaned over to her and said, You know, actually, you're actually not supposed to cuss at all, ever. She looked at me and says, Really? <laughs> yeah. Surprise! To a seven-year-old. Yeah. Don't just cuss in church. You're not supposed to cuss at all. But see, a lot of people live their life that way. Jesus is just some add-on on Sunday. I do whatever I feel like doing anytime I want to do it. I live for the devil. I live for the world. I live for myself. I do whatever I want to do Monday through Saturday. And then I get up Sunday morning and I try to put on my spiritual stuff, my spiritual attitude. And then I come to church. Jesus is not an add-on. Following Him is my life seven days a week. His will, His ways, His life in me. Now, that is what true salvation is. Now, that is the foundation of a new life. You, you depend on Christ alone for forgiveness and a new life. You say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ, Philippians chapter 1. You say as Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified no, with Christ. I no longer live. I die and Christ lives in me. You're in charge of my life, Lord Jesus. Your will, your desires, your plans, your purposes, that's what I want in my life. And no one can truly come to the Lord Jesus on any other basis. Jesus says, you want to come follow me? Number one, let him deny himself. Let him disown his previous life. Let him disassociate himself with who he used to be. Now, does that mean that you go from spiritual babyhood as a new follower of Jesus, that you suddenly catapult to spiritual maturity in a week? Well, of course not. Spiritual growth is a process. You learn God's Word, you apply God's Word to your life, you live God's Word, you obey God's Word, you grow spiritually. Denying yourself is something that we have to practice to do. Dying to me is a process, and there's lots of struggle along the way because me doesn't want to die. All right? I mean, yeah, I'm, anybody want to die? I'm to, uh, no, we want what we want. We want it our way. We like it our way. Dying to me is very hard because me doesn't want to die. But when you come to the Lord Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, you don't just add Jesus to your old belief system, your old way of life. In fact, the Apostle Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. They have died. 
All things have become new. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, disown yourself. Die to who you used to be and live for the Lord Jesus. Number two, Jesus says, take up your cross. Now keep in mind now that that Jesus had not yet told his disciples that he would be crucified. Remember last week we looked at the back, just in the previous verses, he told them he's going to suffer, and he told them he's going to be rejected, and we told them he's going to die and he's going to rise again, but he hasn't told them just how yet. He has not mentioned to them his crucifixion. He has just said that he's going to suffer and die and be rejected, but he will rise again. So when Jesus says to them, take up your cross, they're not thinking about Jesus because he hadn't told them he's going to be crucified yet. What, what would they be thinking? Well, they would be thinking of death by crucifixion. Not Jesus' death, because as I say, he hadn't, told him he hadn't died yet, but death by crucifixion in general. Do you realize that from about 500 B.C., 500 years before Christ, until just after 300 A.D., crucifixion was a relatively common method of execution. There was 800 years of world history were in that region of the world, Europe and the Middle East and, and, and those parts of Asia, and other parts even in North Africa. Crucifixion was a relatively common method of execution. The Persians came up with the basic idea. The Greeks copied it. The Romans perfected it. And so like 800 years, there, there were over those centuries, hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. One Persian king ordered the crucifixion of 600 of his political enemies, all at the same time. Alexander the Great, 332 B.C., because they had resisted his orders to surrender when he captured the city of Tyre. We talked about Tyre and Sidon here in the Gospel of Mark. When Alexander the Great captured the city of Tyre, 332 B.C., because they had resisted his order to surrender, he crucified 2,000 men, women, and children on the beach there at the Mediterranean Sea. The Romans ended a slave rebellion in 70 B.C. by capturing and defeating the army of slaves who were rising against them, and they crucified 6,000 men along a 60-mile stretch of highway all the way back to Rome. The Romans always crucified people in very public places, along a road, on a hilltop, near a well-traveled highway, it was a warning, it was a, it was a deterrent to others who might rise up against them, and they generally left their bodies on the cross to decompose and be eaten by creatures, taking the skeletons down if need be, just to use the cross site over again. It, it, it was a terror tactic designed to frighten everyone into submission, and it worked very well most of the time. And it was a familiar sight to anyone in the Roman Empire. There would be virtually nobody that Jesus was speaking to who hadn't seen somebody, probably multiple times, had seen people on crosses in very public places, dead or dying. During the first three centuries of the church, of church history, thousands of men and women were crucified because they would not deny their faith in the Lord Jesus. Of course, the crucifixion of Jesus' followers hadn't started yet when he's saying this to them, but, but crucifixion was common enough that, that everybody knew exactly what it meant when Jesus said, take up your cross. Because the victims who were going to be crucified were usually forced to drag their own cross to the place of their own execution. So what was Jesus saying in all this? 
He's saying if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to endure persecution. What, I've, he, what I believe he's implying to them is, just how valuable to you is this gift of salvation that I'm offering? Is it, is it valuable enough that you would give up everything, even to the death? That's what he's saying. How, how, how valuable is this to you? This is a, a willingness to suffer. The cross is a picture of suffering. Of course, not every believer who comes to Christ is going to die as a martyr. But you know, in our world today, I mean, here in America, we got it pretty easy. Oh, people laugh at us. People roll their eyes. People call it, oh, but there's an old Bible thumper, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you believe in the Bible? Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's about as bad as it gets for us. But in a lot of foreign countries, this, this verse could very literally come true for you. Right now, today, in 2023, in countries all over the world, people are being beaten up, thrown in jail, and killed because they will not deny their faith in Christ. And that, that may come to our country at some point. It's not here yet. But Jesus says, every believer who comes to Christ will probably have to suffer somehow, some way. Maybe they'll have to endure some rejection from their family. It's not always physical suffering. Sometimes it's a, a lot of other kinds of loss and suffering. Maybe you're going to be rejected by your family. Maybe you're going to be rejected by some of your relatives. Maybe you're going to be rejected by some of the people that you work with and some of the people that you know and some of the people that you care about. There is a hostility and an anger and a resentment toward people who are faithful followers of Jesus. And if you are following Jesus, you've probably already been on the receiving end of some of it. Jesus says, if you come to me, you will probably endure persecution and, reject, and rejection and reproach. And not, re Reproach is not a word that we use a lot these days. It means the sneers of people. And certainly Jesus' disciples did. In fact, in Matthew's parallel account of this, in Matthew 16, he even says that it will probably occur every day. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I die daily. Every day of my life, Paul says, I am facing death for the cause of the gospel. So Jesus' hearers were very familiar with crucifixion. We are not. We have, oh, there's tens of thousands of, of, of pictures of, of, of just artwork galore about all kinds of crucifixion. Uh, some of it's probably not exactly the way crucifixion was done, and we're not even going to get into all of that today. I mean, we have all just like tens of thousands of paintings and drawings and sketches of crucifixion, but we haven't really actually seen anybody hanging on a cross or watched anybody literally die by crucifixion. But Jesus hearers who watch it, they had. They'd seen people on crosses They'd seen their bodies hanging there. They'd watched them die. Virtually everyone knew exactly what Jesus was, was saying. Jesus said, this could cost you everything. Might not, but this could cost you everything. This is not yet glory. This is not yet going to be the kingdom. This is not the wealth and prosperity that's going to come one day in the glorious kingdom of Christ. Right, right now, in this life, we live in a hostile world, and, and, and the hostility of unbelievers against believers is going on all over the planet, and we have experienced some of it as well. Jesus hasn't come back to establish his kingdom and his glory. And so Jesus says to his disciples, say no to yourself first, 
and then say no to personal security, second, being willing to pay any price because eternal salvation is so valuable. You see, and this is an important principle for us as well, the gospel is never offered to people on the basis that why don't you take this gospel? Why don't you accept this Jesus? Because then you'll get everything you want and life will be good. Jesus will fix your life. He will boost your self-esteem. He will help you get a better job and he'll help you make more money. Jesus never said, follow me and it will be your best life now. In fact, if this world is our best life now, man, are we in trouble. Because our best life is on the other side in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus never said, follow me, I'll give you your best life now. No, see, the, the saving, forgiving gospel message is offered to people on this basis. Does this offer, Jesus says, does my offer of forgiveness and salvation to you, does it have enough value to you that you would give up everything for it? And if it doesn't have enough value to you, to do that, then it's because you don't understand it. If you are, you are caught up in this temporary world that's all passing away, and you have no understanding of eternal things, that's what Jesus is saying. See, true salvation views Christ and forgiveness and heaven as so precious that no sacrifice is too much. Which is why Jesus went on to say in those next verses, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will he give in exchange for his soul? You see, to everyone listening to him give this invitation, he says to them, do you understand what I'm offering? Yes, you die to yourself. You disown your plans. You disown your own life. You must be willing to endure suffering or persecution if need be of those who hate me. But do you know where this is all headed? Do you understand eternity? Eternity in heaven, in the presence of God, in all of His glory? Is there anything in this world that is so valuable to you that you will give up eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ forever, that you'll give that up for something in this world? What will a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a person give in exchange for their soul? Something on this planet? Is there something on this planet you want to trade for your soul in heaven forever? That's, that's what Jesus is driving at. So he says, you die to yourself, and you'd be willing to endure suffering and persecution. And, 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 this, and our third thought, loyal obedience. You die to yourself, you carry your cross, and then he says, follow me, which I call loyal obedience. Because, you know, sometimes people obey because they think they have to. They obey grudgingly. Jesus says, follow me. And that verb tense in the original language means, let him be following me. It is a regular, ordinary, continual process. It is loyal obedience. I've used this illustration with you before too. I read it years ago, a little boy in class. He was a, he was just, he was a real hyper, hyperactive little guy. And the teacher kept telling him to sit down, sit down. He was jumping out of a seat, going over. She finally walked over, grabbed him by the shoulders, marched him over to a seat, pushed him down in his chair and said, now stay there and sit down. As she walks back up to her desk, he leans over to his friend and he says, 
I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That is not loyal obedience, okay? That is grudging obedience. And Jesus says, when we says, follow me, we call it loyal obedience. You obey because you love Jesus. You obey because you want to honor Jesus. You obey because you want to please the Lord Jesus. So you do what he says. To follow means to imitate, to do what Jesus does. You imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 6 says, if you, if you say you abide in Christ, you ought to walk the way that he walked. Jesus said in John 8 to his disciples, If you continue in my word, you are my disciple. He said to his disciples again in John 15, You are my friends, he said, if you do whatever I command you. Jesus said in several other places, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? You know the verse in James 1, we've quoted it many times. We are not to be just hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. Our lifestyle, our pattern of living is dying to self, willingness to endure whatever God brings us through, and loyal obedience. A well-known pastor described it this way. I like the description. He says, if you were going on a trip, the first thing you do is say goodbye. The second thing you do is you pick up your suitcase. The third thing you do is you head out on your journey. He says, that's what Jesus is saying. You want to be my disciple? You want the eternal blessing of forgiveness and peace and joy in heaven in the presence of God forever? Then say goodbye to self. Pick up your cross and let's go. Really very simple. Very hard to do, but very simple. It's not a complicated process, but it's hard. And verse 38 is such a powerful, powerful verse. Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, there, there is a coming judgment. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it says that Christ will come from heaven with his holy angels in flaming fire to judge those who do not obey the gospel. That's what Jesus is speaking of in this verse. This is a warning. This is a very strong invitation. It's a very hard invitation because it requires self-denial and cross-bearing and loyal obedience, giving up your life in order to save it. And Jesus is saying, if you choose not to do this because you want to hang on to your own life and you want to hang on to your own ways and you're unwilling to obey the Lord Jesus and follow him, if you choose not to do this and you're ashamed of Christ and ashamed to identify with his words and his teaching and you want to embrace this sinful generation, if that's where you want to be, then he said the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of you when he comes at his coming in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And you will end up taking your place with the doomed world, with those who reject Jesus, with those who laugh at the gospel, with those who think they can be good enough to earn their own way to heaven. And when Jesus comes, he says he comes to judge the world. Now Jesus is going to say a lot more about this later when he gets to Jerusalem in the final week of his life. And he preaches that great sermon on the second coming. We'll, we'll be to it in many weeks down the road. He fills in a lot of the details that he just briefly mentions here. 
But the question really is very simple. How valuable do you think your soul is? If you owned the whole planet and everything in it, you could not buy your own soul. But Jesus can. Through his perfect life, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus Christ paid the price for your soul. Our soul is the real us. It's the inner man. It's the immortal part of our being. It is going to consciously exist forever in heaven or hell. And the only way your soul can be redeemed is by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying goodbye to self, taking up your cross, and pledging your loyalty to the Lord Jesus. So listen to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling out, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Make certain today that you are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what a powerful invitation right from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, He's offering us eternal life, forgiveness, heaven in the presence of God, the glory of God forever and ever and ever. But we've got to let go of our old life. We've got to disown ourselves and who we used to be. And we've got to come to Jesus. We've got to be willing to endure whatever it is He brings us through. We've got to follow Him in loyal obedience. There are many, many blessings of following you, Lord, but there are some trials, there are some troubles, there are some heartaches, there are some losses. And we must be willing to, to walk the path that you walked and to endure the things that you endured, if need be. Lord, we need to die to our old self, and we just need to faithfully, loyally follow you. Those are the marks of true salvation. Lord, we stumble, we have trouble, we rise, we fall, we sin, we make blunders, we say foolish things, we do stupid things. And yet, Lord, the direction of our life has got to be we just keep dying to self, just keep enduring what you bring us to, we just keep faithfully, loyally obeying what you want us to do. Lord, we know that in the end, as the old song goes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Help us, Lord, to realize that the, the value of what you are offering us is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Lord, may we answer those questions correctly and come to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.